Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode. My name is Daniel. This is Daniel Teaches. Today, we're talking about how young boys and young men end up turning into criminals. Stick with me. Let's check it out. So again, today's video is all going to be dedicated about how does one wrong turn lead to a bunch? What are things like risk factors and protective factors? And what are some interesting patterns that we see when we look at the literature in regards to young men and young boys who end up going down a criminal path? There's a big talk about prevention, right? That we say, look, we want to prevent things because if we can prevent things, then we never have to worry about rehabilitation because we know the studies on rehabilitation are just not great. That people who offend, people who end up in prison are more likely to end up in prison once again than someone who hasn't, which is statistically mind-boggling. If you go to prison, you should be the last person, and then you come out, you should be the last person who should ever have to go back to prison, right? So let's talk about this. And if you're interested in this topic, you want to look at conduct disorder, predominantly in young men. It happens to women too. Here's what we should know. On average, and this is me generally speaking, when young boys start having problems, it's seen overtly. Overtly means it's seen externally. If you tell me somebody hit somebody at school, if you tell me somebody broke into a car, somebody lit something on fire, chances are it's a boy, right? Whereas girls throw things in more internally. Again, generalized statement. Not all, there are exceptions to it. Here's what's really interesting. If we were to have a graph, now for people on YouTube, you're gonna be able to see the visuals. I'll see if I can get it up for my good friends who listen to this podcast on Spotify and Apple. This is what we tend to notice amongst a bunch of different things. So if we have age at the x-axis, which means the bottom horizontal line, and we have, let's say R for risky behavior, what we notice is somewhat of a bell curve across time, meaning as an individual starts to get older, so they start going up from 7 years old to 10 years old, 12, 13, 15 and it peaking about 22, give or take, is when risk-taking behavior is at its highest. Now, I can say this confidently for men. I haven't quite looked at the literature that has only examined women, so please uh, bear with me on that. But what we notice is that the risk-taking behavior is absolutely highest for young men between that kind of 18 to 22 years. And I mean, if you really want to look at it, you could even push it up to 25. But after 25, the literature right now points to it being a decline. So for the age of 12, 13, 14, 15, it starts rising, peaking in the early 20s. And at 25, that risky behavior starts to decrease. Here's what's interesting. When we talk about risky behavior, one thing that we also see is creativity. So creativity also peaks during this time. In terms of alcohol consumption and substance abuse, that also peaks during this exact same time. And guess what? The chances of engaging in criminal behavior also takes part during this time. So what does that tell us? So what we're sitting here and we're looking at is we're going, all right, Daniel, what we've just established is at certain point, especially if we want to look at adolescence, we're talking, you're not even an adult yet, 12, 13 years old, something happens that sparks this ignition, which has you go into increasing the probability of you engaging in criminal activity and other things that might be um, unprotected sex. That might be, again, substance use, drinking alcohol before the age of 18, 19, or whatever is legal in your province or state. So the question becomes, okay, well, Daniel, I can notice there's this pattern of, of, of things, of risk-taking, of creativity, of criminality. What is going on in this area? You tell me, good people, what happens to young kids 
around the ages of 10, 11, 12. What's going on? It starts with a P. Puberty. You guessed it. Now, puberty is really, really fascinating because your brain is developing at rates which I want to be careful making statements that are not backed up by evidence-based, but there are very few, if any, periods of your life where your brain development is as intense and quick than it is in puberty. Like it's unbelievable what happens to your brain, to your physical body, your organs. Now, here's what's really interesting to know. Whenever we want to look at kids or we want to look at people in relation to discipline, in relation to saving money, in relation to doing what's right, in relation to delayed gratification, check this out. Adolescents have an under, that's meant to be you, have an underdeveloped system for emotional impulses and self-regulation, okay? So, self-regulation is underdeveloped in their brain. Meaning, you know, when they say, oh, you got to be until 25 until your brain fully develops. So, if me and you are both tempted with chocolates or with unprotected sex or something, a 30-year-old is going to have better self-regulation than a 14-year-old. Okay, and this is just what their brain is like. Genetically speaking, from a brain development standpoint, it's going to be harder for that young person to resist and whatever. So it's not a surprise that we see individuals engage in risky behavior, engage in emotional impulses like uh, unprotected sex, like engaging in, in drugs at a young age, because it's harder to hold back. Here's what's also interesting. So you go, this isn't just a coincidence. Alongside self-regulation, Guess what part of their brain is overdeveloped? That means it's extra sensitive to stimuli more than people over the age of 25. Guess what it is? The part of your brain that's associated with dopamine. So you're sitting there and you're a smart guy or girl or whatever gender you are listening to this. And you're going, okay, so creativity Risk-taking behavior, criminality, these all peak at a certain behavior. And Daniel saying, excuse me, at a certain age, is saying, well, at this age that they all peak, it's also puberty. And the brain's ability to regulate itself, to say, no, 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 let me save that money for a rainy day. No, 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 let me not eat those chocolates. Let me not smoke that joint just because my friend's telling me to. That part is underdeveloped. And the part of my brain that gets excited for doing things, that is achievement motivated, that gets extremely happy when it gets to a goal, is extra sensitive. That means if me and a 14-year-old both, both post a photo on Instagram and it gets a bunch of likes, the impact that it will have on this young person's brain is unfreaking believable And it's addictive. Good people. Let me ask you this for a moment. What does pornography, playing video games, posting on social media, accomplishing a goal, doing cocaine, all have in common? Not to mention vaping. They all release dopamine. When you post a photo on Instagram and it gets more likes than you expected, the same area of your brain lights up as if you were at a party doing crack cocaine. This is legitimate. Like, this is factual. 
here's what's interesting. Now, what I'm saying is if we had these uh, scans of your brain in black and white and we show different areas of the brain light up, the exact same part of your brain would light up and you wouldn't be able to tell who's watching pornography, who's doing cocaine, and who just posted a selfie on Instagram. If we're just looking at the area region where the brain lit up. Now, if there's a way to show the intensity, right, or the amount of dopamine, the, the potency of it, then absolutely you could say, well, look, this dude's doing coke because it's way higher or, or the color is a lot more intense than this individual over here who's playing video games. So in other words, we've got a recipe for disaster, right? You take young boys who we know are going to externalize problems more than young girls would. So they're going to, if they get mad, they're going to engage in vandalism. They're going to engage in theft. They're going to engage in assault. And it's really the most dangerous age for young boys right now is between the ages of 14 and 17. Why? We're talking about peer pressure. We're talking about dopamine driven. We're talking about engaging in risk, in risky behavior. We're talking about this invincible fable where you think to yourself, I can't get hurt. I know people who are killed by drunk driving, but it just won't be me, right? Like, I'm going to be okay. Everybody else gets killed by drunk driving, but not me. I'm going to be the one that doesn't make it. Look, I know AIDS is a thing, but I won't get AIDS. Like, I'm good. So there's all this crazy stuff around us, but they're saying, look, I'm in a bubble. I'm special. I'm the one who won't get AIDS. I'm the one who won't get addicted to this drug. And as we know, unfortunately, many people do. And what we fail to recognize is, as young people, it's, it's more than just peer pressure. It's an element of biologically looking at brain development. It's not in your favor, right? It's actually expected that you're going to seek out these dopamine reinforcing rewards or reinforcing tasks. So we understand that a young person's brain is literally wired differently than a person who is older than is at least over the age of 25 when we begin to see that decline. So now you take that and you mix in a plethora of things. First of all, you've got to look at environment. You have to look at parents. How closely are they monitoring them? If you have a tyrant parent, guess what the kid's going to do? Up yours, mom and dad. I want to do what I want to do. And when mom says, look, you shouldn't do this. This isn't how good boys behave. What do they say? When parents give a universal, uh, whatever, statement to them, hey, this is wrong. Kids and adolescents, it's a theme for them to say, look, maybe not in your day, mom, but this is what's cool. Or this is what I want to do. So there's a difference of subjectivity and objectivity. Now, look, people listening to this are predominantly between the ages of 18 to 23. Like that's a 40% of this audience. So if you're listening to this, you're like, oh, I know who he's talking about. This might be you, right? And if you're hearing this, I'm saying this from a place of, of care and kindness and knowledge for yourself so you can make sure that you're on the right path and also for other people. So we understand that people have the deck stacked against them from the very moment, right, which is their brain. Second of all, the things that are going to protect or harm an individual further is, again, we're looking at uh, social life. So we're looking at uh, socializing. So let's say we have B for the brain. That's the first one. We have E for environment, right? These are huge. And people always say, what's more important? Is it your brain? Is it the way your frontal lobe? Or is it your environment? Is it the way you raise your parents? 
my take on it, based on all the literature we have, it's both. They interact with one another. Your personality shapes the environment. Your environment shapes your brain. What? What is, what is Daniel talking about? I've heard some nonsense about the environment shaping me, but how can I shape my environment? I'll give you an example. You're a young man, and you start to grow up in a neighborhood where the way that you gain respect, the way that girls will flaunt towards you is if you fight. If I fight you on the street and word gets out that I want, my status increases. And with higher status comes higher respect. With higher respect comes more women. This is one of the cycles of if you want to look at gang violence, not to oversimplify, but that's one of the things at the pinnacle. You're talking about dopamine. You're talking about validation. You're talking about a hierarchy, Jordan Peterson's favorite word, a hierarchy in the streets. And when you start whatever winning fights or whatever act or task or job that they've kind of put a value on, it increases your status, meaning you climb up the street hierarchy. Maybe even you you hurt somebody so bad, you assault them, you go to prison. And that's the ultimate badass thing to do. So when you come out, you're the king, right? You're the queen. So now the environment has shaped you. Now, how do you shape the environment? You have your unique personality. So when you go to prison, not only does prison influence you, but you begin to influence prison. You use the things that got you through the streets, got you through school in prison and vice versa. Right, So your personality, when they drop you into a neighborhood, you're going to go interact with other kids. Well, on day one, it's your personality who's going to influence other kids and in how they behave. So behavior is a big one. Excuse me. Biology is a big one. Environment is a big one. Obviously, peer relations are extremely important to young people. So the question becomes this. It's pretty simple why people can become criminals. Like there's so many reasons. Actually, the question how young boys and young men become criminals isn't very complicated. It's quite simple. Bad upbringing, bad group of friends, dopamine, reward-driven. That area of your brain says, no, man, there could be consequences. Oh, this is why, you know, when you when teachers or parents try to talk to kids and they say, hey, don't do this because you could end up in prison in the future. Don't do this because it would look bad on your record. Man, he doesn't care. She doesn't. She's not thinking about the future. His interest in desire and invincibility fable in the present far outweighs his vision on consequences in the future. And that manifests itself in risky behavior and engaging in criminal acts. So you're sitting there going, well, okay, Daniel, now we know how boys and how men can become criminals or one biological reason that makes it harder for them. The question now becomes, a better question in my interest, or better is debatable, a more interesting one. Why are not all boys and all young men criminals? Why not? If I just told you it was so simple to become a criminal and you're biologically at a disadvantage, you might immediately think of the protective and risk factors and just flip everything that I said. And you say, well, look, biology, you can't do much, but... Daniel, you talk about the environment. What if you've got a good friend group? What if you've got good peer relations? Let's break that down. What does that mean? Good peer relations. One of the things that we found that deters people from engaging in criminal activity is religion. Now, for people listening to this, I don't know how religious you are, and it's not about believing in something necessarily, but it's the idea of unity, 
bringing people together. Excuse me, when I said not believing, I meant not believing in a higher power. It's more so about the idea of I'm a part of this church, I'm part of this community. Here are certain acts that I cannot or will not take part in for whatever reason. And when we all come together in church and we talk about it, we can kind of keep each other accountable. So uh, not just going to church, but marriage as well, we can see as sort of these defects on these otherwise negative things, such as we know that marriage generally leads to people living longer, men living longer, I should say that. We know that uh, going to church and being religious decreases your chance of suicide ideation, thinking about suicide. So we know that religion plays a big factor. Another huge one is a young person has to have something that they love in the present. And this is this is where pragmat uh, pragmatism comes in, okay? If you're talking to a young person, this is what you should tell them. You go, look, we need to find something that you love in the present. Something that you cannot afford to lose. You love going to soccer practice. If you engage in this activity, you're going to get kicked off the team. No more. You're done. The coach has said you miss one more practice. That's it. You're finished. What's it going to be? Right? Because what parents often do is they go, look, you shouldn't do this. You're going to ruin your future. Okay, who cares? I'm doing well. I've got a girlfriend. I smoke when I want to. I've got a part-time job. I'm living the dream, mom and dad. Who cares about my future? So what we have to do is if, again, this is one perspective. This is one school of thought. I'm not saying this is the only way. If there was some way that we could get that individual to recognize and go, look, here's something that's worth fighting for. Here's something that's worth out that's worth staying out of prison for. I can't tell you the amount of stories I've heard from former boxers, martial artists, jujitsu practitioners who had their life altered and changed because of martial art. This gentleman by the name of Dustin Poirier talks about the impact that boxing and martial arts had on his life. This young guy by the name of Brian Ortega talked about getting into fights on the street and blah blah blah. Eventually gets to a jiu-jitsu gym, starts training with Henner Gracie, and starts talking about the positive impact it had on his life. And he said, Look, yeah. I can't risk getting involved in the street fights and things because the coach said, if you do, you're not allowed back in here. Simple as that. You want to come in, we'll show you love, we'll be kind. You engage in that behavior, you are not coming back. Right? So if the future is a no-go and this person's in the present, the question becomes, what do you want more? What do you want more right now? Is it to continue this behavior, which we'll call A, or is it B? And we must articulate the idea that this individual cannot have both. That if they have A, they cannot have access to B. And vice versa. If you engage in this behavior, you can't do X. And unfortunately, the tough thing is if you're a young person, a young boy, a young man, you don't have much that's that's on the verge for you. Like, what if your thing is video games? And you go, look, I can smoke all I want. I can drink all I want. I can still play video games. What are you going to do? Like, take away my Xbox? Okay, I'll go to a friend's house, right? So it becomes tough. And when I say these things are simple, I've said this so many times, folks, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's straightforward. Right? There's many reasons why people engage in, in criminal activity and in bad behavior. The question becomes, your desire to engage in this behavior outweighs all else. 
And here's something that I'm so freaking passionate about. And this is the last thing I want to leave you good people with is this. If you're a young person and I think, okay, you are after dopamine. What does that mean? You're after dopamine related. You're after sex. You're after drugs. You're after video games. You're after uh, alcohol, right? If I take those things away from you, you're going to be dopamine deprived, right? You're going to look for it. It's going to suck. You don't want to do that. Well, there's no issue here. And me being an adult or someone who cares about your life, maybe you're an older sibling listening to this, you got to understand, okay, look, how can we replace that dopamine with something? How can we substitute it with something? Look, you uh, play video games every day and it makes you feel amazing. What if instead of playing it every day, how about you played it three times a week and we got you to do something else? For another three times a week. Instead, you go out on a run. Instead, you play chess. Something that you find fun that could replace video games. Because the problem here, good friends, is not you're engaging in this behavior. The problem is you've got this crave for dopamine. You've got this crave. And what everyone, what the large majority of people due to a lack of understanding do is imagine if you're craving chocolate. Everybody takes away chocolate and they're like, you have Brussels sprouts. But it's not the same, right? So you have to, you have to to tailor it. You go, okay, well, look, you love chocolate. Well, how about um, well, look, here's a banana and um here's a little bit of chocolate syrup on top. You go, but Daniel, that's not healthy. I understand, but we're we're baby stepping our way over, right? We're baby stepping. You should play video games every night. I don't think the answer is to quit. I really don't. If it's every single night, can we go down to five times a night? And those two other times a night, go hang out with your friends. Or, you know, again, what what releases dopamine? Do you like swimming? Do you like hanging out with your girlfriend? Right? And if we can begin to substitute those things, we can begin to more appropriately allocate things to this individual that will cater to this kind of dopamine-deprived sense. And if we can keep them like dopamine-busy, dopamine-satisfied, if you will, it's going to deter them from going elsewhere to engage in that dopamine. Does that make sense, folks? If you do martial arts Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, three days a week, every week, and you go and it feels great, and sometimes you get your butt whooped, but you have an amazing time, on Saturday night, how much are you going to be driven to go out to that party to hook up with a stranger to engage in more risky behavior? Now, I'm not going to come out here and make bold statements and go, if you do this, you won't do that. No, no, no. I'm, there's not enough to say that. But my hypothesis right now, based on the current literature and the gaps, is this. If there's a deprivation of dopamine, if you don't have enough, well, what if we give it to you in other ways? And then when you're satisfied, right, it's kind of like if we keep you full and then you go to the dessert table, how much are you going to eat, Right? Or at the very least, how will that now impact your self-regulation and your emotional impulses? So as a YouTuber, but more importantly as a psychology student, what we want to do is we want to look at the literature. We want to bring it to the forefront to share it with you good people. And most importantly, we want to create new questions together that we can explore. Because there will always be gaps in the literature. There will always be things that studies have not looked at. And we can say certain things and we can say, look, the studies right now point to X, Right. But there's no studies about why. So based on X, let's make a hypothesis about why. And let's get some researchers to check it out. And we can come back next week and talk about it. Hey, good people. I hope you enjoyed. Please take care of yourselves. Stay safe. And you will hear from me again next week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.